Are you going to do some fun music on the way in? Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 181 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with a growing collection of more than 80,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Uh, today, we are on a highway jammed with broken heroes. And we are in the lecture hall on the 12th story of the Mercantile Library. And I am joined, it's terrible, right? No, I'm joined yes. by Polly Campbell, the food and dining writer for the Cincinnati Enquirer. John Faherty, the executive director of the Mercantile Library. And I'm Brendan Call, a board member of the Mercantile Library. And today... I am so excited. After many, many, many months, uh, we are going to discuss Born to Run by none other than Bruce Springsteen. Um, a warning, there will be spoilers discussed today. There will also be a good deal of fanboy rhetoric from yours truly as we talk about Bruce Springsteen and his music and his impact on our lives. And uh, so I encourage you to continue listening. So here we are. We're finally uh, gathered together. We've been talking about doing this for some time. Uh, and we're going to talk about this this terrific autobiography that came out um, late last year. And so uh, I, I'm going to start it off with a, a very general question. What did you think of this book? I found it to be far more interesting than I anticipated. I um, I many I I liked him a lot less in a lot of ways, but I liked his music significantly more. Um, I found it to be pretty complicated. I agree. Polly? Um, well, I thought it was exactly the autobiography that Bruce Springsteen would write. It's very maximalist, very full of, you know, saxophone solos. And, and um, it, it's funny, I actually read this, for some strange reason, the next week I read the first uh, edition of Bob Dylan's Chronicles, ah. a completely different way for a rock star to write his autobiography. Bruce throws it all in there. But, you know, that's sort of what you expect from him. I was only going to read it till he, the part he got famous, because that's usually the most interesting part. Right. And it really was kind of the most it interesting part. Was. But I kept reading it. Like, and then we went on this tour, and then we went on that tour. But um, it was fun to read about his, his you know, young life. I've, I've read um, two other biographies of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, oh. And this was by far more interesting, and it's written in his style. And I have a, a friend who refused to read it and only listened to it because it was Springsteen who did the audiobook oh, version of it, it mm -hmm. and said that that added even more to the experience of reading it. And I think all that told me is that this is undeniably his voice. And you know that there are some folks who do their autobiography and they partner with a ghostwriter, and he, he's explicit about that, that he didn't do that here, um, but he didn't need to be explicit about it because it is so clearly written in the style of a Bruce Springsteen song or yeah. a Bruce Springsteen speech. I mean, Well, and you know, it's, it's a very generous book, just like his concerts are. It goes on for a really long time, <laughs> you know, and, and he throws it all in there, and, and he really 
has that sincerity that's so clearly his, uh, you know, what makes him who he is. Yeah. I started he, th- the book on audio because I was driving, and then I, I prefer to read than uh-huh. to listen. But li- it, it was kind of a different experience. Like, when you listen to it, there's no doubt he wrote every word. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. There's no, I don't think anyone would want to write this way. Only he could do it this way. Uh, it was perfect for him. I think there's no doubt it was him. Yeah. He, um, if you've been to a concert, and he will, when he um, sings the song Growing Up, uh, mm-hmm. He will often do a story either in the middle or at the beginning, and he talks. He kind of freestyles a little bit stories growing up, and it 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 is um, nothing word for word, but it is just so much in the in the vein of those kind of stories that he tells when he's on stage and talking to his fans and to the people that he's out there with. And that yeah. I thought that was kind of the 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 overall beauty of the book is that it was very true to him and true to kind of a concert experience. It was yeah. A, it reminded me when he was here last time. Um, his mom was on. St- he brought his mom and his sister on stage. Right. You know, and that that sense of just loving the folks back in New Jersey. You know, I, don't know. I, I think the New Jersey. Let's talk about New Jersey a little bit because I think that yeah. was you know, um, pl- in, in great books, place is often a character in the book, and um, New Jersey is very much a character in this book. Even you know, growing up, obviously at the beginning. Um, but when he comes back to it, it was such a cent- like going home to New Jersey was a central moment in his life after he, you know, when he decided to leave L.A. Um, after the earthquake, which was a good scene, I thought, in the book. Mm, yeah. um, but let's talk a little bit about New Jersey and how that in- in- influenced. I was I was struck. Um, I loved that part of the book. I could relate a lot to that part of the book. It, it felt very ethnic, very immigranty, very, you know, like. The, the ethnicity of his mother and his father. His father was arguably the most important character in the book. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that he's clearly a man of very few words, but mm-hmm. he is like, he's looming over the entire right. book and the entire life, I think. I mean, good Lord, it's always about fathers and sons, isn't it? It's well, it's obviously, he's clearly sons. been to therapy. So, yeah. he, you know, he's def- <laughs> this is definitely a book you write after you've been to therapy. So. Yeah. All right, I want to put. Let's put our cards on the like table. We, let's not get back. <laughs> How big are? What's the? I thought, fan you, were ask, I thought about, you were about like, to ask if we have been in therapy. I felt oh, like that's where that yeah. conversation oh, was going. Hand cards raised. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Let's rate. I I am a moderate Springsteen fan. Mm-hmm. I grew up with him playing in my house. My older sister loved him. It was always on. I've seen him. I call it once and a half, once in a concert and once at that Super Bowl uh, at halftime. You were there? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I am older than you, so I, I'm i kind of a one-album Springsteen fan. Which one? Born to Born Run. Run. Came out when I was in college, and it was definitely a life-changing kind of album. And I saw him on that tour, and... I just assumed I've always liked him since, but really looking back, I mean, compared to some people, you know, I'm no, I'm, I mean, I've, I've been to maybe three or four con- Springsteen concerts and probably haven't bought any records since. I don't know. Wait, do people still buy records? Oh, I mean, bought any, <laughs> what, music, pay, pay <laughs> money Vinyl's for music. I know it is. But there was something Vinyl's about that, the Born to Run album, the vinyl, with that photo on the front, 
where he, which has got this very interesting black and white, not just that it's a black and white photo, but it's Clarence, sure. you know, and all that on it, um, which was an interesting part. That photo belongs in museums. But that photo museum. is, it, it, I mean, I stared at it, I, you know, under various circumstances, I would just look at it and stare at it, right? But um, it's so funny, a while ago, I don't know, it's maybe 10 years ago or something, there was a really young um, rock critic at the paper, and I said something about Springsteen to her, just assuming everybody loves Springsteen, right? And she's like, she rolls her eyes, you know, and says, oh, well, and I'm like, wait, so people don't like Springsteen anymore? She's oh, good, no, it's embarrassing. He's, you know, he's, and I realized he is, he's a very sincere person, which doesn't always translate to cool, you know? Yeah. That first, that Born to Run was was very sincere, but very cool. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, that's my level. Uh, I did see him mo- most recently at, at Riverfront. Um, um, but apparently you have the corner I'm, here on boy, fandom. I'm fanboy here, huh? So I've, I'm, you know, gr- growing up, I was not that interested in him. Uh, we had two f- friends of our family who were, um, you know, like aunts and uncles to us growing up. My parents best friends, Jim and Laura, and they had be- they've been to probably 75 shows and saw him very early on on the shore in New Jersey. Um, but my mom and dad were not not big fans. And I didn't, I, I didn't really become kind of into it until I was out of college and an adult and mm-hmm. probably, frankly, around the time of the Rising Tour, which that album had such an influence um, in 9-11, okay, after 9-11. How much older am I than? <laughs> so, right. I, so, I, but I've seen him. It's, I've seen him. Um, 50, I think probably fifteen times. Um, oh. And have traveled. You know, I usually go two two shows a a, um, a tour, um, and they're great shows. They are very much. I think what I like about them is that they are. They're almost like revivalist sort of experiences. I mean, you go, if you're on the floor and you go through the whole routine to sit down there on the floor, you're with people who've been there 50, 50 times and they've been traveling for 40 years to see him. Yep. And there's this very communal experience and he is in the zone with he, the audience. He is with probably the, the best performer that there's ever been. Yeah. I mean, he gives everything. Right. So, so, so that's that's the level, level of fandom. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean... Um, I, I I like the music. I think the the there have been some albums that I'm not crazy about. I especially liked reading about the early albums in this book. Back to the book, I liked reading about the early albums. And while I was reading the chapters, I would try and put some of the songs on while I was reading it a little bit. I did that a like lot. F- you know, if if you go back to Fourth of July Asbury Park and you go back to um, Darkness and some of the older stuff, there's there's just great music on oh, there. Yeah. And, and then I to hear him talk about writing it and what he was going through when he was writing it. Yeah. These like crazy road trips across country, across the country and motorcycle trips. I mean, his driving, get it. his body. Yeah. I mean, it you is. get like where his head was in that, in that space. And that, that I think will now change listening to some of those songs for me in the future. So I'm actually anxious to go to another show now uh-huh. and, he, and hear it post, post this book. Yeah. I, like I said, I only wanted to read it up till Larry got famous. Um, but I was surprised that even after Born to Run, he didn't get rich. He didn't really get rich until I think Born in the USA. That's the impression I got. Well, yeah, because of the whole business with yeah, the manager, which was really interesting. I mean, he yeah. put that all out there. He did. He, I give him a lot of credit because there was a lot of times when he did put a lot out there, and sometimes I'm not sure how self-aware he is, but sometimes like. Like his treatment of the band, his not like, great. I mean, 
he, he's, you know, everyone loves him as this, like, working class hero, every man. He's their. He's quite literally their boss. I, he and is, I now wonder if that nickname was given to him derisively because he wants to be very clear. You're working for me. This is this is me. Yes, that You're does not in the band. bother me at all. It didn't because it's it's like it's like um, it reminded me of like the Steve the Steve Jobs stuff, right? Like the founder mentality. Right. You do it your way, and you know you don't have time to mess around to hear what the drummer wants to do. You know, you got a vision. Well, he did, and he puts it out there. It, it's, um, he doesn't pretend. Right. Um, I thought, here's where it really troubled me. There was one line, and I, I, I had better notes, but you know, he expects everything from his band. He wanted them to be all in, and, and no one could be as committed as him. I mean, right. He was, one reviewer called him, nearly feral in his ambition and commitment which I don't mean at all in a bad way, but he demanded everything from them. And then there's one scene where he, like, he talks about like, a guy who has been with him from the beginning, and it's fairly early on, and he has to cut him loose. And he said, I'm sure that was really hard for him. You know, I, I wasn't actually there for the conversation. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Oh. Wait, you didn't, you didn't deliver this message? Yeah. That, I was like, you... I, he asked a lot from himself. Mm-hmm. And he asked a lot from everyone else. I'm not sure what, how much he gave back to some members of the band. Well, now that's where I might say, oh. hold on, because they're all very, very rich and very, very Bruce famous, band. and they get to be part of Bruce Springsteen's band. And you know, I mean, it's like you, it's you like it's, was Steve Jobs very giving to you know employee number seven? Yeah, he was. They're bazillionaires now, and so but yep. he probably treated them like shit the entire time. And, and, well, and just, I think and he, he probably cut him loose like for even a decade. The, he was like, "Hey, see you guys." Yeah, and this like, whole Stevie Van Zandt thing where they like when I didn't I, yeah. I didn't quite comprehend that in the in the in the lore of Springsteen either. He was gone even longer than the rest of the band, and he left left yeah. earlier. And, the, he, did, and the, he did more. The other relationship thing that was. Um, Really interesting to read was the few pages where he brought on Jake Clemens in the place of Clarence Clemens. Yeah. And he described the audition, and you did get the sense that he could be an asshole. Um, it, it, obviously, it's like a general demanding their, you know, uh, army go into, you know, uh, you'd be perfectly trained or, you know, all mm -hmm. sorts of like James executive, Brown, executive leadership, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it does read a little bit raw, and you're like, uh, I don't know, this isn't I don't, how I... And he I doesn't don't think I've ever read a biography or an autobiography of someone who's accomplished something great or who has been, you know, depending on your, you know, definitions of things, like you can call Bruce Springsteen a genius, I guess. Sure, you know? sure. Um, He's a musical genius. That doesn't and, seem to be Yeah, really and I don't think I've ever read... I've lots of read, read lots of biographies and autobiographies. There's not a single one of somebody who really, truly accomplished something in their life that they weren't kind of asshole. -y. Right, absolutely. It's exactly. just... And, you, and a lot of times you finish the book and you go, oh, I don't think I can ever, you know, ever once again like a painting by Picasso, you know, but then, of course, you do. I mean, and, and you always have to reconcile it at the end of the book, I find. Yep. This you know? did not turn me off on the music at all. No, it, it didn't. No, no, no. I, and I, it didn't. Music I like or his, more. Or even and I, I think that he, was, he wasn't a jerk to his 
uh, girlfriends or wife. I mean, he didn't like beat anybody up like James Brown did, or well, you know. I think we have now officially lowered the bar. To <laughs> well, I'm just he saying he never, he never did anything. I think he ran around quite a bit. I'm was the sure. implication that he was on the planet. but he never did everybody. anything that would make him an abhorrent person to me. Is all he I'm had, saying. And he had an open affair. <laughs> On his w- on his first wife with his second with the woman who became his second wife. Oh, that's well. fairly important. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, he's a rock star. I don't. This does not bother me. <laughs> I Wait can't believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you are. know what happens. Whatever. Sorry. It is common in the rock industry. There wasn't any revelation that that he had to clean. I mean, nope. his no. reputation is, is sterling enough that he did have to talk about that and say, look, I have... And he says, he doesn't defend himself. He says, I haven't been perfect. I treated this person not perfect you yeah. know, well. Um, but there's nothing in here that he has to apologize for that's like... Uh, in order to improve, I mean, he doesn't have to write a, a book to nope. fix his a broken reputation. No. It's just this is a guy who's. I give a him a lot of credit for putting it out. Puts there. it all out there, and frankly, yeah. the, you know, he puts all this stuff out there about the, um, you know, about his therapy, about the relationship with the father, um, about and the, his depression, and his, his behavior. That was very interesting to me that he's chronically depressed. If Bruce Springsteen is chronically depressed, then. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't right. seem like he is. That well, was like, you know, I mean, it's a really me, good, yeah. I actually think it's wonderful that he talks about me too. it like that I, because oh, it yeah. makes you, you know, if a guy like that who can enjoy so much money and so much fame and so much success and so much adulation and, you know, and and be constantly surrounded by people who, uh, you know, love him, still has moments where he thinks he's not good enough or he's depressed mm-hmm. or he's down. Um, it just shows what a serious illness that that exactly. is and so yeah. you you have to laud somebody like that for for talking about it so yeah. openly I mean, and, he, and he was actually kind of funny age. about it too I mean, he was like not... i need a pill i mean you know right. get me right. a pill yeah um, no, i like that, that he probably opened the door for a lot of springsteen fans many of whom are 60 years old and or older and aren't super comfortable talking about depression or I needed help or I needed therapy. I think he was. I commend him a lot for that. Yeah, saying, yeah. I that was very. I good. really needed to get my shit right, yeah. and therapy helped me a ton. And the description, the description where he was on a road trip, and I'm forgetting it now, but where I think the depression really first hit him. And he mentioned it several times. Was, was oh, very, yeah, he's driving. A, was is, very is he in kind Oklahoma of or Texas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought was, I thought overall it wasn't, it wasn't a real deep book. It wasn't, he didn't have like really interesting insights into why he did what he did. Or it, it was pretty much of a, a, an account of it with some kind of, you know, like enthusiasms in there. I, 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 I would have. The book could have been much more sophisticated. It could have been could have focused on certain things in depth and then kind of glossed over, right. you know, that tour, this tour, whatever. But yeah, that's but uh, like I said, that's him. He's a maximalist. He is. Yeah. I uh, love. Let me. Uh, oh yeah. Go ahead. I, I love one thing. Um, no, no. The the fact that that one review. Like in a newspaper review, oh, the John, uh, the yeah, Landau the, review. Right. Yes, that had such a I was just going to start talking about incredibly profound. Yes. Effect. yes, the written word still matters. Have, uh, it still did. Yes. I have, I right. have seen the future of rock and roll. Well, and his, and his name, name is, is Bruce, Bruce, Bruce right. Springsteen. I mean, for, yeah. first of all, the the 
the the power of that sentence, right? Yeah. I went and looked at the review. I uh, it's it's really easy to find. It's about six pages long. <laughs> it is, this is clearly a funky this weekly. Is old, yeah, this yeah. is a long time yeah, this ago. This is like the reader or <laughs> something like that. But it, and then he I, became his manager. That's what's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. But the, the I fact remember that there was when such so a that's game that changer. actually that what would wait sorry the fact that that one review really I I think it validated him, and I mm-hmm. think everyone started noticing, and it, right. it was... Well, and then he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek. On I, the yeah. same I remember week. that the same really week. well, yeah. Yeah. I remember. So, so you then. mentioned Landau became his yeah. manager, and that actually was, um, I thought, a core theme through the book uh, was this topic of friendship and the friendships that he had along the way. And even though he you know, had these ups and downs with the band. He talks about Stevie as being a close friend and Clarence as a friend. And he talks about Landau. And there's a paragraph that I thought was phenomenal. And it, it, it extended to kind of a work relationships and friend relationships. And I'll, I'll just do the paragraph real quick. He, he's talking about, he says, alongside my wife, Patty, my band, and a few close friends, I've shared my mind with John Landau more than anyone else. When it's a good match along the way, your heart ends up thrown in too. There's a love and respect at the center of everything we do together. It's not just business, it's personal. When you came to work with me, I had to be assured you'd bring your heart. Heart sealed the deal. That's why the E Street Band plays steamroller strong and undiminished 40 years in night and after night. We are more than idea and aesthetic. We are a philosophy, a collective with a professional code of honor. He talks about bringing your best and he goes on and he says it's all about um, this friendship. And uh, I thought that was really beautiful and there are really a number of um, friendships and relationships that I thought he, he, he did articulate ways. Mm-hmm. His relationship with Patty, his relationship with really his family a little bit. Yeah. He did a great job talking about this. When he talked about his grandmother early in the book, and she, he said, I I read it months ago, but it said something like, she she loved me in the type of way that it ruined me. I mean, it was so real, and I thought fairly profound, and probably right. I mean, she, she pulled him largely from a family that didn't seem to be all that loving in many respects, and she just gave him Everything, mm-hmm. and 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 then he had to go essentially, you know, at one point back to his family. But when right. he spoke about his grandmother, it, there were some really powerful moments in his in, in his grandfather with the radio and like yeah. you work the radio and then the sound comes on. I got like I got chills when he went during that when like when you're like oh he f- like they would fix the radio and 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 now all of a sudden it's making noise that makes sense. It was really. I thought it was like a, a good early memory. Really, yeah, pretty yeah. remarkable yeah. about his grandmother and his grandfather and music. It was, it was. He's really from another generation. I mean, yeah. he's like the last of you know. They used to say. I remember a, a thing about demographics. It's like there's baby boomers. There's the. Dylan baby boomers and the Springsteen baby boomers. Oh, that's so interesting. He's the, he, but he's he's the younger baby boomers, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. But yeah, he grew up. Right, like when you look back at a childhood, it, it can feel like a really different era. Um, it's less privileged and, you know. I, th- I thought there was some greatness in um, his, uh, he talks a couple of times near the end of the book about being nervous, and he talked about being nervous playing with Mick Jagger at that concert mm-hmm. where they right. played together, the 
Uh, and he talked about being amped up, obviously, before the Super Bowl because it was a whole different experience in front of so many yeah, people. Yeah, it starts the book, right? Uh, yeah, and then, right. Um, but he, um, I, I think... I think that was terrific uh, to hear him talk about that for someone who you would think, you know, I think I've been to concerts where these guys go out on stage or gals go out on stage and they, you could tell they're like, I do this night after night and I know exactly what I'm going to mm -hmm. do, exactly what I'm going to say. And you could tell how much he puts into it still all the time. And then the idea that for him playing with Mick Jagger and playing the Super Bowl were these incredible experiences that he still had to get nervous for and get an anxious for. Well, yeah. It I mean, was relatable. Right. And I think that, you know, like, if you care, you get nervous. Right. You know, it's like you never, it's never quite good. You're never quite good enough, and that's why you get really amazingly good. Seems yeah. Like. Yeah. I loved when he went to California, and he was like, I guess I was a New Jersey star, because I went to California, and they <laughs> Nobody cared. were better than me. Oh, I thought yeah. it was really oh, yeah. honest. He, he, like, he didn't... He didn't say, uh, you know, I just, they didn't get me, they didn't like me. He, he, he was like, God, I was listening to these people, and they were so technically, they were better than me. I was a very good guitarist. These guys were on another level. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, uh, I liked, I really liked that. He was also aware of his own kind of singing limitations at not yeah. being, many times he mentions through the book about not being the best singer yeah. and not having the greatest voice, and... Um, I don't know. I love his early singing, though. I love it the way it's soulful, and you know, in the two two first records, it's just I, they're so. It's terrible. To, it's always terrible to say about a, an artist that you love their first two albums better. It's right, right. Them. But you know, when he, he's gotten more of this sort of anthemic kind of singing, that's I don't know. It's kind of repetitive, and those first ones with all those words in them, and and. Uh, the, Long stories. Yeah, and the stories and the whole weird made-up words about her hurdy-gurdies or whatever that song has in it. But he just seemed so... Blinded by the light. Yeah, blinded by the light. Um, I, I don't know. I heard a couple of those songs the other day, and I just... I just... I loved their their inventiveness and uh, the way he sang them, yeah. too. And I love his voice. I yeah, mean, there's it's really flawed. It's, it's never occurred great. to me to think that he doesn't yeah, have me a, a good yeah. voice. Uh, he has a Bruce Springsteen voice, that's which is did, great because he's apparently he Bruce Springsteen. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> did you ever hear um, on on uh, Underground Garage TV Van Zandt interviewing him? No. It was a great conversation they had on his t on his radio show, and some of it I kind of wish he'd put in the book more. It was about how they used to go around who they used to see playing shows. Um, and there was a little less of that in this book than there was in that conversation that I remember, how they would go, I don't know who they'd see, I can't remember, the Four Seasons or sure. you know, whoever, the, and the traveling funk bands and so on. And you kind of got this sense about, you know, he's always going on about the life-changing power of rock and roll and stuff, but that really comes from this place that, that where he was really in on sort of the beginning of rock and roll. And it's so funny, I'm looking back on it, I can't figure out the chronology of all this. I mean, his... Born to Run came out in 74, 3, 6, 5, I don't know, 75 maybe. And it was a real, it was a real uh, throwback at the time. He was, he was going back to some roots of rock and roll. Right. That, that in the same way punk did not that long afterwards. Of course, his way of going back was very different. Um, but I love that way that, that he had this real true connection to the early pioneers of, or I don't know, maybe not the pioneers, but the early rock and roll, that real true. He does. He talks about um, 
Sam and Dave and some of the old stars that he would see and that yeah. he, and that still clearly means a lot to him. And yeah. There's a great show the um that you can get I think on Netflix or one of those somewhere I'm sure. But it's that the 25th anniversary of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he plays and he plays with Bono and um right uh Sam uh from Sam, what's I forget the last name but um and they sing some great, uh, yeah. And they sing, no. yeah. Exa- well, they sing some. Sam and Dave, right? And they sing some great old songs. And um, it, I, I, it's just a. Uh, um, it, the other thing he did is when he uh, um, r- released one of his newer albums and went on tour, he started at the Apollo Theater, um, which and that was that. There was a scene in there where he has Jake Clemens with him, and it was the first time out there. That was also, a, I think, a concert that meant more to him than it probably did to some of the people who were there. His traditional fans sure. who just went to the Apollo, like for him, playing there, I think, was more important. And he, by the way, speaking a little bit about race, he does talk about kind of his business, which he felt he feels like he's never really been able to achieve, which is this level of diversity at his concerts. I mean. If you've been to these co- concerts and you're sitting on the floor and when all the hands go up, I mean, it is a, a sea of generally white, white people. <laughs> it is and white. It is. A, it is. And he talks about that because uh, you can. He talks about being frustrated by that because so much of his music has influences in, you know, soul and funk music that that is largely from. Um, people of color and so but he just he talks about never being able to break through with fans that that are people of color and that's just kind yeah, of that's just the way it is it's it, just the way it is I mean yeah. it's true of but so many it was interesting he acknowledged it it's kind yeah, of like I like about that he struggled and he didn't it. he's like I struggle with this yeah. well and, and having having Clarence Clemens in the band has always been I don't know when he wrote about he writing about Clarence Clemens I thought I wanted a little more about that I I had the sense that he spent a lot of time not writing about some people because he didn't want to say an ill word. Well, like, he, like at, when it's when Clarence died, he was like, "Well, he really struggled with his demons, and his wife really stood by him." And yeah, like I, you, I read Clarence Clemens' biography, and oh, yeah? that is like insane. I mean, oh. it is it, as crazy as this is. Uh, like, I mean, as close to this voice th- this is. Uh, Clemens's biography was like you almost had to be on something to follow it. I mean, oh. it was all over the place. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's Char- what I, Charlie uh, and the Chocolate Factory kind of la la land right. sort of stuff. It was very bizarre. <laughs> I well, um, one of the things that really stayed with me from this book was how broke he was for so long, and like playing on those Friday nights at that like dead bar for like five or six bucks. Yeah. yeah. Like that was his take home, and. And I love that, like, he had never, he was, like, he was so broke and he was so focused on being a musician. He was, like, pretty much entirely off the grid. He had never paid taxes. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was, like, wow, he was so, you can never, this man earned everything he has ever received. Like, like, none of it was handed to him. Mm -hmm. He, he, like... He was broke. Yeah, yeah. Forever. He had definitely the struggling artist thing going on there. Yeah, huge yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. And again, back to the con- the point you made earlier about any biography you've read about a founder or somebody who's achieved great success, there is that theme of here's what I had to struggle to go through to get to that point. Because you're it not is willing such to a compromise. Right. You're not I, willing to yes, compromise. Yeah, exactly. You know what you're made for. And right. until that happens, you're not going to do something else. Yeah. 
Right. I, I, I don't think Michael Jordan had a single teammate who would describe him as a good guy. Like, none of them would say, oh, he was just a great guy to hang out with. They all respected him, but... Yeah. He, he, Michael was pretty hard and sometimes even cruel, mm-hmm. but no one doubted his focus. Yeah. Or his, it's just, you know, most of, the, most of us poor slobs just kind of do what we do pretty well, you know, right. and we don't, we don't have to give up anything to do what we do. We can still be nice people right. because we're not. Well, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Well, pa- so here, so I have a you, friend. You weren't all that nice, Polly. Polly, <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you're the, uh, the food and dining writer. Um, I have a friend who's in the restaurant business who wants desperately someday to open his own restaurant business, and he's going through very difficult you know, personal travails and sacrifices in his life and the way he lives his life to be able to get to the point where he's skilled enough and connected enough and able to run his own restaurant. And at times I was reading this, I was thinking about what he's going through to be able to get to that point. And it's because of a drive for excellence and a drive. And you probably see that all the time when you're dealing with chefs who think their food, you know. Right. I love to write about people who just do what they do for some, who knows why they even do it, you know. I, I, I have this uh, New Yorker cartoon on my refrigerator. It's these two guys looking at a hole in the ground. One of them's got a, you know, a hard hat, and the other guy's got a blueprint, and the one's sitting the other one, like, I don't know, it looks like a lot of trouble. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, why don't we all just do that? You know, why doesn't Bruce Springsteen just say, oh, I don't know, this seems kind of hard. Yeah. You know? like, I'll just and, and so many of us do sort of stop there because it is a lot of trouble. So you you got to love Bruce, you've got to love people like that yep. who open a restaurant, which is a ridiculous thing to do. Or, right, you the know, failure rate's off the charts. Yeah, you know, Just or, like it is for bands. Right, I mean, yeah, think about exactly. guys who, think about the guy who's going to play tonight at some bar in, in, I don't know, where, St. Bernard or something. Yeah, and, like, right. Just trying to make it big. <laughs> and, I know, right. and, and I just love, that's why biographies of famous people are so great to read. You know, just like, it's, it's awesome. It's it awesome. Is. And I like that he made a decision, because he, he was clearly very talented and could write. And we all, everyone here, I know, respects really good writing. Um, he can write beautifully. Um, but he had a chance to be, you know, like New Jersey famous, you know, playing the bars and making some money mm-hmm. and four or 500 people and probably make a thousand bucks a week and maybe even have a real job. Yeah. Um, and he said, no, that's, that's, that's not what I want. Right. And John Hammond thought he should be like a folk singer. And he said, no, that's not what I want. Right. I thought that was interesting. That was very brave of him. He was supposed to be the next Dylan. God, he would have been an awful Dylan. Well, that was this thing they were always talking about. Who's the next Dylan? Like, there's supposed to be another one. We're still waiting, I believe, and it's 2017. (laughs) Okay, so let's end with um, two two more questions because it is near the hour. Um, We haven't talked much about music. Paul, you did a little bit talking about Born to Run being your, your favorite, and uh, if there's anything else you want to add to that, or if there's another, maybe a song on that album that sticks out for you that is uh, especially important to you, and then the same question to John about w- what part of the music aspect of this um, moves you in a way that draws you to this biography versus a biography of, I don't know, Linda Ronstadt or somebody. 
I, I love on Born to Run. I don't know why. I always like the 10th Avenue Freeze Out. I love that song. It's got this like re- repetition at the end. And by the time you're singing along with it, you're just, you know, you just keep going. And yeah. it's got this great driving rhythm in it. Um, and the, the album itself is nice, unlike so many albums today, which aren't even albums, but whatever. Um, it's got a wonderful collection of things. You know, it, it was way, it was a, it was a, Change from the ones before, but it wasn't just all one thing. I mean, he got into the anthemic driving down the highway, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But there was also, you know, like what's the one across the river and meeting across the yeah, river, yeah, and uh, so on. So, but I, I really, I've always loved Tenth Avenue to freeze out, especially because it was a story about the band. Yeah, right. I I love the moment when because you always hear this like a band when they they talk about the first time they heard yeah. their song, and he was standing on a corner. Like, I think outside, and he heard Spirit in the Night. Oh, yeah. And I thought, that is such a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, what a great song to hear is your first song of your of own your music. Of your own, yeah. Just on a, sharing it. On a, yeah, and the car's just driving by. <laughs> like, I love that he just, he was like, hey. Um, and Thunder Road's just like. It is. How do you it talk is, about Thunder Road? That is, that is that's, a, that's a story. And we all, I know everyone here loves stories. Mm-hmm. That, like, that, 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 that's so good. And such, like, there's, like, pain and sadness and, like... And it has this thing that you can kind of make fun of because it's got this extra sort of significance to it. And I remember my friend, when I lived in New York, I had a friend from New Jersey, and we used to sit around and talk about that song a lot. She thought maybe it was about another man, but... We won't go there. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of things about right. Yeah, I know, but it was the kind of thing you've listened to it 85 times. You've got to start, you've got to come up with it. But you know, it had that like significance the road, the cars, the American thing, you know, which really works in it, I think. Looking back on it now, it seems maybe a little sort of, I can see why someone would think it was pretentious, but not me. Yeah, not me either. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm buying what he's selling on that song. That song yeah. feels so authentic. Um, he was, I think he was trying his best. I mean, the line, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. I mean, that's just awesome. <laughs> How great is that? That's I mean, great. it's fantastic, yeah. right? Yeah. I liked when he talked about writing. And it was like, when he would say, your, your screen doors, and you know, like, oh, that's a great opening line. And, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what, you don't know what's going to come next. I, but he, he's, he's like this, the it, thought about it. Yeah. He, he really... Um, craft, crafts. He was crafting. He was making, and I don't want to sound old, he was making albums. He yes, wasn't making right. singles. Yes. Absolutely. He was, it was, it was that. A, I, I completely agree that that is missing from today's music culture, is very rarely do you find a band who is put together an entire piece of music on one album rather than just thinking about this the right. single I yeah. know and that then the ones single. who the ones who do it um, are better and I think of like an arcade fire who puts like you, you listen to an entire album all the way through on something like that or um, even the national I think is doing a yep. local band who's doing a good job with that and thinking about that but it is it's definitely not the um, not the norm today no it's always fun I've always wondered why I mean the three minute pop song you know but I've always wondered why Rock and roll is short stories instead of novels. There can be rock and roll novels. Novels of are short really stories. hard. I know. We've all read a lot of really bad novels. Hmm. Yeah, but there's some great ones, and you could do it in rock and roll. I mean, 
some people have done it, you know. I mean, I don't know, Sergeant Pepper or whatever, but right. Anyway, I was I was really impressed by that. He was he had an idea and he made it work. And he's done it over and over again. I mean, Nebraska, you know, all, th there's like that's incredible stuff. It, sometimes hard to listen to. Yeah. Uh, I went and saw the river last yep. year. Um, you know, of there's all the albums I'd want to stuff do. stuff all the way and through there, absolutely. It's not the one I'd pick. But, there, uh, but then, like... When but it, they made a movie out of the river? No, he did He uh, did entire um, show. Uh, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. And he played every song in order. Yeah. Every night. And then, and then he spent like maybe the last, well, <laughs> the last bit of this of his concert, which would be playing an hour, <laughs> playing the songs that everyone needed to hear. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> After, but those songs, when like you're like, oh wait, hold on. And then he, you know, because yeah. he likes to do that talking, and he's like, well, this is what I meant when I wrote this. And you're like, oh, there, there's a all right. I love that album so much more having seen them and having heard it and and having read this book, mm -hmm. the, the 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 craftsmanship of the storytelling that he's doing. And as a, just as a person who works at the Mercantile Library, we celebrate that everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's good at it. I, will, I wanna leave on one song um, before we do recommendations. Because uh, th this one that we mentioned earlier, and it's the one that I've been thinking a lot about in the context of Springsteen lately, and it's the song Growing Up. and. Um, the last time he was in Cincinnati, um, I went with some friends, and he did the intro to the song growing up, and he talked about not being famous and being critical of himself, and he talked about looking in the mirror and not liking his hair and his nose. And this is on YouTube, by the way, so if you're listening, you can Google the since last Cincinnati show and uh, growing up, and you can hear his whole monologue. But he uses the line that you... Uh, before you do this, before you go out on stage and before you become famous, become a rock star, you stand in front of the mirror for a long time and you dream yourself to life. And I thought that is a, a terrific way of thinking about how he, here's this guy who knew exactly what he wanted to become and he had to go through all of this kind of dreaming himself to life. And most recently, he performs this song in Ari uh, in Australia, and this went a little viral on Facebook. I think I you, saw, you saw it, John, and, and I don't know if it, anyone else did, but he brings a kid onto stage um, who's like 14, who is right. saying, I, he holds a sign that I'm skipping school and I want to come play growing up with you. And he says, do you know it? And the guy says, yes. And so the kid comes up on stage and they hand them a guitar and he does, a, a, he plays um growing up with them and they sing together and it's it's marvelous the kid's not a great singer and he's kind of goofy looking but they sing together right. and about midway through the song at the break where they usually tell the story springsteen says to him let me t let me tell you something kid and he said i i realized i wasn't the the greatest singer but what what matters more is how you look and i spent <laughs> a lot of time looking in the mirror and paying attention to myself and then in front of all this crowd in australia he shows this kid how he practiced posing right. to look cool as a rock star and um, I just thought it was great. I mean, this guy's 67 years yeah. old. He's been playing for 50 years. He's peak, peak success. And he still is able to kind of talk about the fact that there still has these, like, you know, probably demons on the inside and probably self-doubt. Well, and probably, probably this is, this is still hard for him to get up there and do it. So, right, I, 
Who wants to admit that? Who wants to? Like, <laughs> you are never going to hear Mick Jagger say, "I have practiced I that practiced strut being over cool. and over I practiced and over being again." Cool. I practiced it. did. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt he did, <laughs> but great. he wouldn't say it for a million. No, dollars. no. So. But the and fact he that just he puts it out. There. Yeah, I looked yeah. in the mirror and practiced being cool. I love it. He's I love sincere. It. He so is, which is not always cool, but it's cool terrific. if you like sincere. Terrific. So, okay, we <laughs> we'll close out like we always do since we finished this book. Um, on to the next. Um, uh, Polly, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Or what are you recommending right oh, now? Oh, gosh. Um, I just read The Sympathizer about a Vietnamese, oh, yeah. uh, South Vietnamese, uh, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, it's inter- It's good, I, except it got to the end and I had to stop reading it. I never stop reading books to the end, but there's this big torture scene and I I just decided I didn't want to read about so, it. So uh, you didn't finish, but it was, okay. I have to finish it because it's in the book. But you had to take a break. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I had to take a break. Um, Understood. Yeah, I also love this book called The Door by somebody Hungarian (laughs) whose name I can't remember. It was, um, it was. It's a book about two women, and it's so funny. I saw a review of it. It's like if you're if you've if you really miss reading, if you really miss my brilliant friend. This will do for you. It's like a, it's like it's like a Hungarian version of my brilliant friend. It's really good. I really liked it. So excellent, John. I am uh, about a decade late, but I am reading Middlesex and completely enthralled. It is so good. The writing is. Uh, it just propels you. Down oh my god! The, yeah. I mean, this guy can string sentences together that you like reread. Oh, that's pretty remarkable. And and here comes another one. I I. <laughs> And he's been here. He was here a long time ago, but... Uh, yeah, before uh, I was involved, Chris, uh, Chris, who's our fearless... I don't think it was before your time. The year I started, 2005. 2005, tells us. That is the voice of Chris Messick, who, who does Makes this, this happen. So thank you, Chris. Um, I'm reading Moonglow right now, Michael Chabon's novel. I don't know how to pronounce oh. his last name, but it's terrific. What's um, it about? Uh, it's about his... It's, it's sort of... Um, it's sort of fiction, sort of nonfiction. It's about his grandfather, and uh, his grandfather basically, he spent a week with him before he was dying. His grandfather told him a bunch of stories. And then oh. at the beginning, there's a little bit of a disclaimer that maybe some of this isn't true. <laughs> and I'm, you know, uh, um, it's kind of mystical in that yeah. regard, but it's like his writing's terrific. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for joining us here today on the 12th story. Um, we encourage you to f- subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile LIB. That's Mercantile LIB. Uh, my name is Brendan Call. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Polly Campbell and John Faraday. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget us. Don't forget to visit us on. Don't forget us, and don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantillibrary.com, where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week. Thank you.